Let me just say, it's really good to be here. And uh, I trust that God will speak to us tonight. Those of you who know me know that wherever I go, I like to take a few books to try and um, distribute somehow. He who doesn't use propaganda is a proper goose. So um, I, I, a few books just sort of fell into the boot of my car today, as they always do. And I'd love to just mention them. I want to just stress, if you're a visitor, this is not a Tupperware party. You do not have to buy anything, all right? In fact, even if you steal it, you'll see that I'm not going to be upset. But I'd love you to have a look at these. Uh, a couple of books, first of all. This is by Lindsay Brown. Some of you will know him as a worldwide Christian leader, but it's what it's called, uh, Shining Like Stars. It's the story of Christian union work in universities around the world. I think most of us would know that in the universities here in, in Sheffield, there are Christian unions doing a great work. But this is the worldwide work of Christian unions through an organization called IFES. Start to think of some of the countries, communist, Islamic, totally closed countries. And yet still in those universities, you'd be amazed what is going on. And this is just stories, powerful stories of how the gospel is at work among students in different parts of the world. And it's a great read. There's some wonderful stuff here. Now, if you want to go to a Christian bookshop and buy it, that's fine. It's £6.99. On the other hand, if you want to get it here, it's a pound. It's entirely up to you. And, um, but I think you'd enjoy it. And, um, uh, but look... If you haven't got a pound and would like one, please do take one. I'd love you to have it. And uh, I think you'd enjoy it. And especially those of you who are students or, um, I don't know, interested in that sort of work. The books that I mentioned are going to be over in the um, foyer where they have coffee. I don't know whether we have it tonight, do we? Oh, right. Anything else? Steak? Chips? <laughs> Pizza? Well, it's available down the road if you want to go. Anyway, no. And, um, but no, across the way there, uh, with coffee, there's a table and just a pound. And then this book called Live Wires. Last time I was here, I mentioned a book called Real Lives, which had 15 remarkable stories of how people became Christians. This is the same again, except each of these people are real characters. So we've got uh, the astronaut and uh, the powerlifter and the punk and the, the addict and the page three photographer. But all of them came to a place where they put their trust in Jesus Christ. Fifteen of them all, and then an explanation of the Christian message. You'd enjoy reading it, but it's really to buy and give to others as well. And again, it's just a pound. I just think you're such a miserable lot here. Can we just try this one more time? Remember, we are in Yorkshire, and I'm talking about... If you were to liken Christianity to something, you're, you're thinking of some sort of simile... I wonder what you would say Christianity is like. I think there are a lot of people who would say that Christianity is a little like a, a, a famine. You know, it, it's, it, it's miserable. There's, there's nothing there to enjoy. And um, I, no, Christianity is not for me. It doesn't offer the joys and the delicacies and the thrills of life. And, and very often that's how Christianity is portrayed. Perhaps sometimes even worse, a funeral have you seen the people who go to church? Aren't they miserable? They're miserable when they go in and they're even more miserable when they've gone out. They've had to give something in the collection and, you know, this, this sort of attitude. It's interesting that the Lord Jesus Christ here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, he says, no, no, I want to explain what the, the kingdom is like, what, what the gospel is like, what Christianity is like, and he likens it to a feast. Now, I don't want to give the, the wrong impression I read just yesterday, um, a preacher asked, what, what do you do? And he said, I spend my life inviting people to a great party. 
Well, of course, there is some truth in that, but that is not all the truth by any means. Just a few chapters earlier, if we'd been reading Luke's Gospel, we would have found that Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. In other words, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in a society which is antagonistic to him and to the good news is not going to be easy. Some people running a hotel in in Cornwall this week have found that. And and there's a sort of pressure that we often just get at work, in the environment, at the school gates, and the cynicism that's poured out through the media. We're, We're aware of these things. Of course, in certain parts of the world, to follow Jesus really does mean that you lay down your life. But here in this parable, Jesus said, no, 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 there is another side to this coin. Yes, it can be tough to follow Christ in a world that is fairly anti-God. But nevertheless, there are great blessings. And so he tells this story. A certain man invited friends to a banquet. Well, that's how we read it. My, My version, my translation of the Bible, just slightly different. It says to a supper. But a banquet is normally late in the evening. He invited people to a, a great feast, a great supper. Sent out his servants. This was the way you did it. And said, now, shortly you'll, you'll get the actual invitation, the time, the moment when you're, you're invited to come. But get ready, you're going to get this invitation. And, and then eventually the moment came and the servants are sent out. And, and one after another, there are excuses made. They're not great excuses, one has to say. They are... Well, I don't know whether you know the name Billy Sunday. Uh, Some of you will have heard of Billy Graham, the great American preacher of a a few years ago. Still alive, but quite elderly now. Uh, And before him, perhaps 50, 60 years before him, was another American preacher by the name of Billy Sunday. He he was a great baseball player, and then he was converted to Christ. and, And wow, he was dramatic. He would be on the platform at the front, and he'd pick up a a chair and just smash it to keep everybody's attention. He he was dramatic, uh, but he made a great impact. If you know, um, I mustn't go on about these things, but if you know Frank Sinatra's song, Chicago, Chicago, he has in it the line, the city Billy Sunday couldn't touch. Now, it's not entirely true, but he, he was a big name preacher. He defined an excuse as the skin of a reason, blown up by lies, liable to go pop, Upon the pinprick of truth. Great definition. Skin of a reason, blown up by lies, liable to go pop upon the pinprick of truth. And that's exactly what these guys were doing. They they began to make excuses. Come, everything's ready. Uh, Sorry, I can't come. I I bought some some land. I bought a field. And you sort of want to say, so? Well, well, I've I've got to go and see it. Well, didn't you see it before? You know, you may have been buying, I don't know, a a quarry. Can't a field wait? It was just an excuse. And then the second one said, no, I bought some oxen. You know, I've got to go and see them. Again, you want to say, did you not see those before? You may have been buying spare ribs. <laughs> You've got to go and see them. That's the pressing thing. That's the most urgent. Yeah, it is. Sorry, I can't come. And then the third one says, sorry, I can't come. I just got married. Hmm. If I could have had a, a little word with him at that moment, I would have said something, and I've got to be careful, my wife is sitting here, but I, I would have said something like, you've just got married, and you're declining an invitation for a decent meal. You must be crazy, you know. But anyway, I can't come, I've, I've, just, you know, I've just got married. But they were excuses. And so the, the master said, okay. And the servants came and gave the news. He said, go out into the streets. And just, just find people. 
Poor people, crippled people, lame people, blind people. And, 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 and invite them to come. And, and when they'd done that, they came back and said, well, they're all here, but there's still some room. Okay, go out anywhere, the highways, the byways, under, under, under the hedges, you know, uh, cardboard city, anybody. Find them, bring them in. He said, look, I've prepared a great feast and I want everybody to be enjoying it. It's interesting, he says at the end of the parable, that none of those who were initially invited will come. He was angry at them. But then you start to study this parable and think, right, now, what lessons is Jesus teaching? In some ways, they're very clear. There is a feast I genuinely believe, and I've been a Christian for a long time now, I genuinely believe that despite all the hardships that there are in life, and the difficulties, and the questions, and the the shattered dreams, and the disappointments, and we all face them to some extent, nevertheless, there is a feast of blessings that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to give to anyone, each one, who will turn from their sin and trust him. He gives forgiveness. The fact that he knows everything there is to know about each of our lives, and yet he's willing to say words like, your sins and your iniquities, your evil deeds, your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as white as wool. God is willing to separate our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. He's willing to cast them behind his back. He's willing to cast them into the deepest ocean. He says, I will remember them no more. Not just forget, I'll blot them out. What a blessing that is. Now, I don't know your life, and I'm glad you don't know all there is about my life. All of us, I'm sure... We would have sufficient integrity to say, I'm not the person I ought to be. I have sinned. Wrong thoughts, wrong words, wrong deeds, wrong decisions. So often just not doing what I ought to do, as well as doing things I ought not to be doing. Pushing God to the edge of the plate of my life. Living as if God was dead, or irrelevant, or disinterested. All of us are guilty, and yet there is forgiveness. But God doesn't just forgive us, declare us just in his sight. By his Holy Spirit. Remember the Bible teaches there is one God who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God, by his Holy Spirit, comes to live within the person who trusts Jesus Christ. So this little body of mine, well little that way, perhaps a little bit too large the other way. But this this body, this being of mine becomes the very dwelling place of God. Well, that's a blessing. So he's going to affect the way I think and speak and and act. He's going to change my priorities. What a difference he's going to make in the way I walk through life. And not only through life, but the blessing of knowing his presence as we go through death. The last few weeks for me have been, well, it's been a season of death and funerals of very, very close folk. And many of you will know that the painfulness of grief as I've experienced in the last few weeks. And yet, God says for those who trust him, I'll be with you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. Who else knows that? In in the face of death, who else can have cheer and comfort? So that my mother was saying just before she was taken, "I, I just want to go home. 
She knew she was going home. Not because she was perfect, but because she was forgiven. But then so many more. We have God's word, the Bible, which comes alive once we come to know God. We find we can pray and God actually answers prayer. It's not just crossing our fingers and hoping for the best, but a God who's interested in in the details of our life. And as we pray, we find that the answers. We, 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 We find that he's guiding and he's protecting. And, oh, I could go on. So many blessings. And then the huge promise that comes throughout the whole of Scripture that one day the Lord Jesus Christ, who once was born and laid in a manger, is coming back as Lord and King and Judge and he's going to reign over all of his creation. Wow, a feast of blessings. But then these different reactions. And actually, I think... As we look into it, you'll see that each one of us can very easily become like one of these people. The first group of people, I would call the people you would expect to have responded. They were invited. Presumably they knew the guy who was putting on the banquet and and they'd been warned in advance, such and such a time, get ready, and and, and you would have expected them to have responded, but they didn't. One of the most heartbreaking things I know in the UK at the moment is the number of people... This generation and previous generations, whom you would have expected to have responded, but for whatever reason, haven't. My my favourite radio programme, unfortunately I don't listen to it as often as I would like, Um, I wish I could, but there we are. My favourite radio programme is Desert Island Discs. And I, I just find the insights into people's lives very, very interesting. I love biography. And um, I was listening just a while ago to Ken Follett, brilliant author, brilliant writer, brought up in a Christian home where his parents prayed for him, where they loved him, where they taught the word. But he chose a different style of life. And and the futility of his modern life, to my mind, was revealed when he was asked, "And, and what would be your luxury item? Do you know what he replied? Cashmere socks. Cashmere, I didn't know they made cashmere socks, but cashmere socks, you know? And you only wear them during the daytime, not at, surely not at night, you know? And I just thought, what a futile mind that that's the best you can dream of. But he, he was one of those you'd expect to have come. Perhaps the father of smuttiness on radio and television was Kenneth Horne. His father, the author of one of our great hymns, I am waiting for the dawning of that great and glorious morn, Charles Sylvester Horne. But he decided he didn't want to go the way of his father. He'd go a different way. I taught for eight years in Batley, in West Yorkshire. Um, Heavy woolen district, of course, and famous for making shoddy and all that sort of thing. I won't go into that now. Huge Methodist churches there, as, as big as this. Just a hundred yards apart, two of them. Seat a good 800. And just empty. So in the Victorian era, hundreds of people were going there to hear the word. And now, generation after generation of those you'd expect to have responded said, no. I don't know you folk. I'd love to be able to get to chat with each of you. I really mean that. Is there somebody here and you were prayed for, maybe when you were still in your mother's womb, And you were taught the scriptures and you've been brought along to church, to Sunday school, you know these things. You know there are some fine Christian people here, you've seen answers to prayer. And yet, for whatever reason, you wish actually deep down you weren't here tonight. 
you dream of not being here. When you go to university, when you've got a job, when you live away, hmm, I will live very differently. We would have expected you to have come, not so much to church, but to Jesus. And the Lord Jesus said of this man, and of course he was really picturing himself, he was angry. Does God ever get angry? We've heard a lot recently on the news from Chris Bryant, Labour Member of Parliament. I heard him just a few weeks ago on Question Time argue there is no such thing as evil. Interesting. Stephen Sharma turned around and said, those men who flew the planes into the Twin Towers were evil. And I thought, yes, what a very good point. But there we are. <laughs> no such thing as evil. So anything goes. God would never be angry. Uh-uh. God says that sin is sin, evil is evil. And God who's holy and pure and just is angry. Angry at sin and the greatest sin is turning our back on the God who loves us, who's made us, who's cared for us, who's loved us even though we've rebelled against him. Hmm. Some of you we would have expected to have come. Then there's a second category, and I must move on. But the second category is those, those you have to persuade to come. Imagine the story. The servants have come back. They've said to the master, well, everybody's given excuses. All right, go out, go into the streets, find anybody, the poor, the maimed, etc., and, and, and invite them. And can't you imagine their response? You are saying that he wants me to go there for a meal. Pull the other one. Look how I look. Smell how I smell. He wouldn't want me. He's never, he's never shown great interest in me. And No, 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 no. Not really. He is inviting you. And I imagine there are some here, perhaps not so many, but it might just be you, and I would have to persuade you. You say, oh, no, no, you don't know my life. You don't know my language. You don't know where I was. You don't know the things I've done. I was sitting on the ferry between Rotterdam and Hull on Friday night, and I was just sitting reading and there was a guy, older guy next to me and it was about half past 11 at night and a young chap came up to him and they obviously knew each other and he said, without any shame he said, oh, I went with a prostitute today and the guy replied, how many euros? Maybe that's true of you. He said, oh no, I wouldn't do that sort of thing. But what is your sin? Is it such that you feel, oh God would never be interested in me But look, he is. The invitation is out. Come, come, for all things are now ready. And as I was trying to emphasize this morning, Jesus came into the world not to call the righteous. He came into the world for sinners. I have never yet been to the doctor and said, Doctor, I just thought I'd make an appointment to come and tell you, I'm doing fine. (laughs) I don't do that. She wouldn't believe me if I did. She knows what creaking great I've got. But anyway, (laughs) that... But you go to a doctor because you're poorly. Jesus said, look, if you're well, you don't need a physician. If you're sinless, you don't need a saviour. But who is sinless? The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Let me seek to persuade you. Whatever you've done, whatever your past, here is the Lord Jesus and he's saying, come, dine, feast, enjoy the banquet, all the good things I've got, dealing with your past, coming to live within you now and for the future, they're all yours. 
Well, they came back and said, well, Master, we've got them all here. It's quite a, quite a table of people we've got. But there's still some room. All right, go out. Find the, the big issue sellers. Uh, even the people who wouldn't be bothered to sell the big issue, they're just sitting there begging. Tell them to come on in. These people, I would have to say, you'd have to compel, to compel to come. And maybe there's somebody here and you think, years ago I could have come to trust Jesus Christ, but for whatever reason I didn't. I've been on the brink once or twice since then, but for some reason I haven't. I would seek to compel you. I'd love to get you by the the scruff of your neck and drag you and say, look, eat, let me feed you if need be, but just enjoy it. And once you began to enjoy the blessings that God has for you, oh, you would... You would indulge. You would love it. The company, the blessings. Do you need compelling? Whoever you are, whatever your sin, the Lord Jesus says, if you'll repent and believe there is forgiveness and a new life. I once heard Billy Graham, the American preacher, preach on the wickedest man in the world. who was one of the kings in Israel who'd done such abominable things and yet turned and found forgiveness. One or two other things. Have you noticed that Jesus said in this parable, come for all things are ready. Do you remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he was on the cross? There were seven statements. But one of those, he cried out, it is finished. In the original language, apparently it was just one word. Finished. He didn't mean that his life was over. No, he'd finished the work that he'd come to do. And, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ invites all of us to a finished work. He's not saying, come, and I'll show you how to be good enough to, I don't know, make yourself acceptable to God. He's saying, no, I've done it all. It's finished. You can find full forgiveness and a new life. I've done it. When he was on the cross, he carried on himself all our sins. Sometimes in my final prayers at night, I just go through my day and think, oh, there was that and that and the other. And in my mind's eye, maybe it's childish, I don't know, but I I put a big circle with an arrow and, as it were, put them on the cross. They were all laid there 2,000 years ago. Jesus paid for my sins of yesterday and my sins of today. In fact, he paid for my sins of tomorrow and the next day. Because when he was on the cross, all my sins were future sins. He's paid for them all. It doesn't mean I can play fast and loose with sin. No, because he gives a desire within me to please him, to be like him. But nevertheless, when sin takes over me, there is forgiveness. The Christian life is a series of new beginnings. We start again and say, can I continue to enjoy the feast? And the answer is always yes. It's a finished work. The Christian message is not try harder, do better, Work a little bit more sincerely and thoroughly and you'll be okay. No, it's come and just enjoy everything that's laid out for you. And then just one other thing, and it's why I stress that my translation has the word supper, New International Version that we read from tonight, banquet, but, but it's an evening meal. I just want to say, and I hope I'm not pushing things too far, it perhaps is later than we think. There is an urgency about our Christian message. It's not just take it or leave it. We're not just having a philosophical or religious debate and discussion. And there you are, it wasn't interesting, off you go. There is an urgency. We, we read, didn't we, that the Master said, go out quickly. 
Speedily. Find these people. Because God never promises us tomorrow. We just do not know, do we? Do you mind if I tell you a story? It's a bit of a tearjerker, but it made a very deep and indelible impression on my life. It's years ago when I was school teaching in Batley. It, It was a very different sort of educational era. There used to be corporal punishment in those days. And, um, and uh, in fact, our headmaster's nickname was Instant Whip. But we, we'll leave that. And I taught in a, a very, very rough, tough boys' secondary modern school. But I loved it. The boys taught me much more than I ever taught them, that's for sure. But I loved it. And, of course, there were some lads who were really hard to handle. And there were others who were fun, you know, to sort of control. And it was um, a Tuesday afternoon. I taught RE, uh, religious education, and um, it was a group of 14-year-old boys who had real character. They, they were characters, but um, so, you know, you, ha- you had to keep the lid on them a little bit, but nevertheless, when it came to it, they worked. And I, I was teaching them a parable that Jesus told, this time about uh, a rich farmer who was doing really well, and he said, I'm going to pull down my barns and build bigger barns, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, and God said to him, you fool. Tonight you're going to die. And we read it from the Bible and I talked about it and then we, we discussed it a little bit and what was Jesus really teaching and then eventually came to the work that they had to do in class and finish off at homework, homework. you know, the sort of thing. And it was real academic stuff. They had to divide their, their, their exercise book into eight squares so they could do eight cartoon pictures to illustrate the story. Anyway, it was about quarter to four. The bell went at five to four. About quarter to four. And I said, right, lads, get on with your work now. What you don't finish here, do at home. And the little lad, I, I won't tell you his name, but I, I know it very clearly. He was, he was red-haired. He came from a very poor background. And he just came up to me. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like, Sir, what do I have to do to make sure I go to heaven when I die? He used to come. I, I had a daily lunchtime Bible study group, and, and he used to come along to it. And I said something I've promised myself I will never again say to anybody. I said, I said his name, and then I said, why don't you go home and ask Jesus Christ to forgive you and live in your life? The bell went at five to four. That was that. Five to nine, next morning, school started. As I was arriving, I could hear the sound of sirens down in the valley in Batley, the school high up on a hill. I didn't really think much of it. I used to help in the school tuck shop. Hmm. Anyway, and um, a lad came up to me and he just said about that, that boy, he said, sir, he's in a broad battery accent, he said, sir, he's dead. He's dead. He was just walking along the pavement, coming to school, not doing anything wrong. There was a lorry parked by the side of the pavement and another lorry failed to stop at some lights, the brakes had failed, crashed into this park lorry, pushed it up onto the pavement and crushed this lad. He said to one of his friends, my mum will kill me when she sees I've torn my new trousers. But when they removed the, the lorry, he died. I wish I'd spent time that night before and said, let's just explain how you can know you're going to heaven. Now, I'm not here to pull emotional cords and make you weep buckets or anything like that. 
There is an urgency about this. God doesn't promise us tomorrow. And even if we have tomorrow, he doesn't promise that he'll continue to speak to us tomorrow. He always says, today, if you will hear my voice, harden not your heart. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. There is a feast of blessings. You, whoever you are, are invited. That includes me, and I'm glad it does. And how do we respond? Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, come and dine. And I don't know whether you're one we'd expect to have responded, whether you're one we need to persuade, or whether you need compelling. But I urge you to respond to the invitation. I was converted to Jesus Christ, age 15, in the Middle East on holiday. I met up with some missionaries who told me this story of Jesus dying, paying for my sin, being buried and rising from the dead. They spoke of heaven, of hell, and my need to turn from sin and trust Jesus. And I thought, if he loved me enough to die for me, I want to trust him. And I prayed a prayer, asking him to become my Lord and Savior and friend, and I have never, never regretted it. And I would like to close my part in this service by praying a prayer very similar to the one that I prayed. And I'm going to encourage you to pray it with me. And if you pray it with me, I'll pray it slowly so you can make it your own. You don't need to pray out loud, but in your mind, in your heart, if you pray it with me, will you write down your name and address, legibly, because I'm not very good with squiggle, but write down your name and address and give it either to the vicar, Paul Williams, the door there, or Joe, the door here, or I'll be at the front if you want to come and talk, but I, there's a public health warning on my germs, but I'll be here. Just give it to me or to them. And I will write to you tomorrow and send you some booklets that will help you to start getting going in your Christian life. And perhaps the church will get in touch with you as well. But I won't come knocking on the door or anything. I live in Leeds, so I'm not going to do that. But I will write to you and you'll get it on Tuesday. There is, starting on February the 1st, the Christianity Explored. I wholeheartedly recommend that course to you. And if you're just wanting to find out more, it's a great course. You'll love it. But if you know you need to trust Jesus Christ, don't wait till then. I invite you to pray with me now. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for such a wonderful invitation and at such great cost to yourself that the Lord Jesus Christ has suffered and bled and died for me. I am sorry for my sin. With your help, I want to turn from it. Please forgive me. Come and live within me. Become my Lord, my Saviour, my friend. And help me to follow you in time and in eternity. Thank you for hearing this prayer, which I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.